Welcome to The 85%. I'm Mira Sharma. This week, I talk with Joanna Bixel, the CEO and co-founder of Kasha. Kasha is a mobile store based in Rwanda that sells women's health and personal care products, from lotions and soaps to contraceptives. The company is committed to helping women in the emerging world access products that are often stigmatized, like birth control and pregnancy tests, through mobile ordering and discreet delivery systems. Kasha started in Rwanda in 2016 and has recently expanded into Kenya. I talk with Joanna about her journey to working in tech and health in the emerging world, the need for women-centric business models, and the exciting startup culture in East Africa. Joanna, welcome to the 85% podcast. Thank you. So um, I want to start by talking a bit about your background and, and sort of how you got to Rwanda. Um, I understand you were working for Microsoft in Seattle and were sort of frustrated that the, the tech innovations there weren't really reaching the developing world. Yeah, I, well, so I grew up in Canada, but in, uh, my background's in engineering and software development. So I originally started my career um, at Microsoft as an engineer. And um, so I did spend 11 years in the corporate world. Um, and actually, it was around when my son was born, my first child, that I you know, really reflected on kind of, kind of example I want to be uh, for my kids. And so I decided to move to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I spent three years there as the principal technology advisor for global development. Um, and that's where, you know, a lot of the ideas for Kasha started coming together. Everyone sees the world in a different way. And I, and I truly believe that technology can just break some of these existing structures that exist that... Um, you know, really marginalize people and make it almost impossible to get, you know, critical products. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things led to starting that, but I think it's just my backgrounds in, in, in technology, um, also businesses around technology um, and global development as well. Mm. And where did the sort of seeds of, of the idea for Kasha specifically come from? Yeah, well, so um, when I was at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, I worked across various areas of technology, such as uh, fintech and health services delivery, um, as well as last mile and supply chain and agriculture. And uh, the supply chain of health products was actually the area that I worked the most in. Um, so how do we get products like uh, vaccines and family planning and contraceptive to very rural areas, um, and especially around across East and West Africa and South Asia? Um, so that was definitely, um, an area where I was working and seeing and, you know, leveraging technology within those spaces. And I just saw this, there's a huge gap and, you know, I'd say globally, the focus is really on how do we get health products to clinics mm. or at the maximum, how do we get them to, you know, the community health workers or community health volunteers. And when you think from a woman's perspective, um, about products like contraceptives or others, you know, even if we successfully optimize our supply chains to reach the clinics, we, we're not successful. You know, there's, there's a huge social stigma to get products like contraceptives. And, you know, what I saw in many countries is that women were not going to the clinics. Women were not going to the community health workers because, you know, if you imagine, you know, you know everyone in your community 
whether you're married or unmarried, there's so much stigma, uh, you know, attached to things like contraceptives, even an HIV as well, that it's, you're just not going to go. I mean, it's a huge deal. Um, so we're really not thinking from a woman's perspective. And I think that even though everyone is saying, oh, women, you know, need to be empowered. Women are so catalytic, so influential. It's true. And we need to start building solutions for women. So I think um, I actually tried to look for um, a company that was doing this. You know, who's using technology to help women overcome issues of social stigma? And um, it didn't exist. So that that was definitely a lot of the things that influenced. And then on top of that, the business model. I mean, women are the most influential consumers. They they make the decision on 80% of consumer purchases, even in areas where they don't necessarily own the wallet. They're often the decision maker on what gets purchased, and especially in health. Um, and so, you know, it really made sense to, you know, really optimize a solution for women and really um, enable them to get the products they need, while at the same time, you know, growing a business that can scale globally as well. And then, you know, the other thing is that the company Kasha is named after my daughter. Oh, okay. And so, um, you know, there's just something when, you know, you have a daughter and, you know, all mothers, all mothers want their daughters to have, you know, great lives and achieve their potential. And so it just, it just really hits home when, you know, you can imagine, you know, your daughter may not have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And how did you choose Rwanda specifically as a place to start, Kasha? So just with my experience working across various different um, developing countries and emerging markets, I, um, I definitely knew that East Africa was the place, I, I think it's the best place to start a, a mobile, uh, a tech-heavy business. I mean, there's just very high mobile phone penetration across East Africa as a whole um, compared to other places in the world. Um, so you see very rural areas, you know, people really living in extreme poverty, yet they have a phone. And not in all cases, but pretty much everyone has access to a phone. Um, there's also a high usage of mobile money. Um, and so when you don't have credit cards, mobile money really enables solutions like e-commerce to to work. Um, and Rwanda especially, um, Rwanda is an incredibly amazing country. And they do have a huge focus around women's empowerment and enabling access to family planning products. And they're very, um, they're very bullish around technology and enablers, and also really supportive of businesses. Um, and and so when you're, you know, social businesses is relatively a new thing, but for us, it's really important that, you know, it was it was great to be able to start in a country where there is no corruption. You're able to just grow your business um, and you have the support of the government um, in, in continuing to grow and scale. So walk me through sort of how the service works. Um, say I'm somebody in a very rural area, sort of how do I access Kasha, figure out what you have, what can I buy and, and how does it come to me? Sure. So Kasha is e-commerce for women's health and personal care. And we sell a variety of products, everything from contraceptives, sanitary pads, um, HIV self-tests, lotions, beauty products, so really a wide variety. And it's really focused around confidentiality. 
um, and having quality, affordable products. Um, and so, you know, it's very discreet packaging. No one knows what's inside. Um, and, you know, it could be a lotion or it could be an emergency contraceptive. So it's, we're really optimized for that. And we, and we strongly believe that women, all women need these products, whether you're, you know, a low-income farmer woman in, um, in Rwanda or whether you're, you know, a professional executive woman in Nairobi. Everyone needs these products, albeit at different prices and maybe different brands. Um, so we've, we custom built our e-commerce platform, so it's very accessible. So um, as a result of that, we serve various different segments. And so there's slightly different journeys depending on what customer segment you're in. Um, about 83% of our orders now are coming from low-income rural women. And so it's grown very quickly within that segment, which is great to see. Um, but we also serve, you know, professional women and students and, and, and across. Um, for low-income specifically, um, we used a technology called USSD. And so this is a very common across developing countries. And it basically, like, when you're buying airtime, that same technology where you dial a short code and a menu pops up, it's a channel off of the telco but it's really only exposed publicly um, in more developing markets. Um, but we took that and we turned that into e-commerce. So that means that you don't need internet access, you don't need a smartphone to be able to browse through our products, order, pay, and get it delivered. So basically, in for example, in Rwanda, you dial star 911 pound, and this brings up our menu and you're able to order a product. You can pay with mobile money, but we also enable cash on delivery in certain circumstances. But also you can order with an app or a website. We have a call center, so a variety of methods also through social media um, that's widely used here. Um, and then we've also optimized our delivery depending on the customer segment. So if you're in the city and you're able to pay the delivery fee, we can deliver it to you in as fast as one hour, um, you know, using a, a motorcycle and clustering our orders. But if you're in a rural, hard to reach area, we have a network of Kasha agents um, that actually distribute the packages. So a Kasha agent is a woman who lives in the community, Basically, you can order through her or we deliver either way. We deliver all the packages to her and she distributes it among her community. She doesn't see what's inside the package. Um, and that's one way we're able to cost effectively reach rural areas. So, you know, depending on your customer segment, you have different ways of ordering. But the goal is really to be enable you to order by yourself in a confidential way um, and get it delivered discreetly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and you mentioned that these products come at sort of different price points, depending on sort of what segment of the population you fall into. We don't change the price of the products, but we have different varieties okay. or products. So, um, you know, we have, for example, we have the most affordably priced um, sanitary pads in the country, kind of a, a low end price point all the way to a high end price point. And so women select whichever one is the right right one for them with the right price point. Um, we've also negotiated, for example, in the case of an emergency contraceptive, you know, that is not subsidized in Rwanda. Um, so we've negotiated with our supplier um, to have the lowest price in the country for that. Um, and so, but for other products as well, we're just, we're very 
competitive um, compared to the corner store or, you know, just uh, to be as affordable as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. And, you know, some of the products are things like pads and tampons, beauty products, that kind of thing, but you also sell, you know, birth control pills. Um, and I imagine that presents sort of a different set of complications. I mean, what's the status of sort of birth control in Rwanda? How sort of accessible is it? Do you, do you need a prescription for it? We're operating in Rwanda and Kenya now. And so across both countries, you do need a prescription for birth control pills. Um, you do not need a prescription for the morning after pill or plan B or emergency contraceptive. So um, in that case, that the emergency contraceptive is, is a little bit easier. Um, so we have um, a, a partnership with a pharmacy and in Kenya, we're developing partnerships with several pharmacies since it's such a larger uh, country. But um, so we have an agreement whereby customers order through us. We connect them to the pharmacist at the and it's basically as if you're walking into the pharmacy. So same type of questions. We can also send the, um, a picture over to them. Um, so we really try to do everything over the phone like telemedicine. And then when the pharmacist uh, basically gives the go-ahead, we can then deliver the product. So we make sure we comply with the policies of the country, um, but we work in partnership with with health partners. We we actually sell every single kind of contraceptive, everything from injectables, IUDs, um, implants, and obviously we can't we don't do the implants ourselves <laughs> over the phone. Um, so we do also partner with clinics. Um, and especially in those cases where you do have to go in to see a clinic or if you don't have a prescription and you have to get one, um, we coordinate that as well. So we're a high partner leveraged model. Um, and so for us, we really see ourselves as a channel that's really optimized for women, um, for products, information, services. So, you know, if you don't know what kind of contraceptive you need, you we actually offer confidential consultations and we connect you to a nurse we know is supportive, um, that will not reprimand you, uh, but will give you accurate information. And so you can choose the one that's right for you in a confidential way. Right, right. And and is that something that, that is quite common, sort of um, when women seek out advice about contraceptives, um, they're rebuffed or maybe steered in another direction by doctors and nurses? Yeah, that is something that is very common. I mean, I guess in the in the most difficult scenario, it's an unmarried woman, um, but it's very common for if someone wants to get some information or get a contraceptive product, you know, they're turned away. And, and the nurse is trying to be helpful, but um, you know, basically, it's not uncommon to call the girl's husband, the woman's husband, or maybe parents, or just to reprimand them and say they shouldn't be doing this. And so that, in the end, women just feel they don't have a choice and uh, puts them in really difficult scenarios. Not every woman also chooses to um, have sex. In many cases, sometimes they're taken advantage of. So it's really a difficult situation and. The ability, you know, what we really do with our health partners, we we make sure we screen them, we work with them, we have the same philosophies. We ensure that when they talk to someone through Kasha, that they are supportive, and that they're licensed and certified and and trained. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm curious to know whether there's been any any pushback to this or or where it hasn't worked so well. I mean, I know the products are confidential and packaged, but if a woman is receiving sort of a mysterious delivery from an agent, doesn't that 
kind of tend to attract attention as well? Yeah, so from the beginning, we wanted to sell a variety of products. Um, and that was on purpose. Uh, because if we're seen as a stigmatized company, we are doing our customers a disservice, you know. If they see the cash package and they associate us with certain products like contraceptives, that, you know, no more confidentiality in that sense. And so for us, actually, we do, um, we sell a lot more personal care products than we do the health products, which is great. And um, so soaps, lotions, deodorants, you know, variety of things. Um, and so, and the way we brand ourselves and, and market ourselves is that, you know, Kasha is all about self-care and taking care of yourself from your hair to your toes. And of course, you know, the sexual reproductive health areas are also important, but we, we really try to do it holistically. So for us, it's critically important. We build a brand that is not stigmatized. And in fact, it is aspirational, you know, that you, when you get your cash package, it's like getting a little present. Um, you know, it's just a basic envelope, but inside we put a tissue paper, we put a thank you card and that just gives, you know, makes people feel a little special. And, and actually, in the sense of contraceptives as well, what we see quite regularly is people actually buy the non-stigmatized products first several times before they buy something like a contraceptive. So people want to test out the service, and then when they kind of have built that trust, they take a more a step for something that's a little bit more difficult for them to purchase in person. Interesting. What would you say have sort of been been some of your biggest hurdles? I mean, has it been logistical, uh, sort of cultural? Talk me through some of that. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think when you're running a startup and, a so and like a social business startup and in East Africa, you know, <laughs> in all those areas, you encounter hurdles and that's just part of the day to day. Um, but it's also the exciting part because, you know, you, you have an idea, you try it out, it doesn't work. Uh, you figure it out. And I think that's the exciting thing about a startup is it is it's fast paced and it and, you know, the team is determined to figure out how to do it right. And I um, this is what I love about business. I feel business gives you instant feedback, whether you're serving your customer well or not. So if especially if you're a low income woman and you are paying us money for something Oh, you know, again and again, we're we're providing value. And so that's what we're trying to get to. Um, but we definitely, you know, hurdles along the way, um, I would say in terms of just, um, operation side, like Rwanda, for example, e-commerce is not as common as in other countries. Um, it's not as common as it is in Kenya, for example. And so, um, especially for low income customer segments, um, it's very new. Um, so it's always difficult to be the first ones to be doing something like e-commerce and, what we constantly do, and we're continuously improving this, is how do we optimize our solution to meet people where they're at, but digitize it enough to be able to scale. And so in Rwanda, for example, um, you know, we have a call center that today we take 800 calls a day. And we never planned to have such an intense call center. In Kenya, we don't need such intensity in the call center. But in Rwanda, we've learned it's really important. People aren't, if you just, you know, talk about e-commerce, you give them a phone number, they're not just going to send you their money. They're actually, they need to talk to someone, you know, they want to know who are you? 
you know, they speak the same language. So it's a huge trust builder. Um, same with agents. Our Kasha agents, you know, turned out to really build trust within communities. So people started ordering. And then as they order and become recurring customers, we can digitize that process. But, uh, you know, one of the things at the beginning is people did not trust e-commerce. They did not trust sending their money. And so we had to just work around, you just meet people where they're at. Right. And do you feel you have sort of competitors in this space? I mean, are there nonprofits that are delivering these kinds of products to people or giving them out kind of thing? You know, when it comes to like just from the customer perspective, our biggest competitor is the traditional way of getting these products. So, you know, the physical stores or clinics or just because that's where people are used to going and what they've been doing. Um, So, you know, just showing that there's an alternative, that's our biggest and kind of doing that behavior change is for us the biggest competition, I'd say. Um, But in so... In Rwanda, we're already, you know, the largest e-commerce company by volume of orders. Um, there are e-commerce companies, just not as um, not as many. In Kenya, it's huge, you know, many e-commerce companies, much more competitive. Um, Jumia is here. Jumia is the largest e-commerce company in on the continent. Um, you know, Africa's first unicorn. So, you know, very well-funded, established company very pretty much exactly Amazon model. Um, and then there's also online pharmacies here as well. Um, so there's a variety of different competitors. Um, and so for us, we, we really focus on really building this niche of we want to be the place where women trust to go and get their health and personal care and body, things they need for for, to take care of themselves, for their bodies and their health. And, um, and, I, and I feel, especially with the niche, you can really optimize that scenario. It's critical you build trust. It's critical that people know you have a you know, genuine quality products and that the experience will be one that they, that they love. And, and also our ability to reach the majority of the population. And so when you look at typical e-commerce, you know, it usually is people who are, you know, have smartphones, um, people who are able to buy laptops and fridges and, and, you know, more expensive items. Um, and it's a variety of items. So it's harder for them to optimize on that niche. Um, and very product focused for us, it's really like customer focused in that sense. So you mentioned that the majority of your customers are, um, from low-income communities, I guess, how do you negotiate both having to sort of charge people living, at, you know, on the margins for these really essential products, as well as, um, you know, if somebody can't pay but but needs emergency contraceptives, say, how do you handle that? So I do think there is a place for free products as well. Um, but my experience as well is that, you know, even though someone is maybe identified as poor, they don't want to be treated like they're poor all the time. You know, they do want to sometimes buy, you know, maybe a nicer version of a sanitary pad rather than the free one that they get. Um, and they they are willing to spend their money and save up their money for that. So I feel like we need to respect our, our customers as, you know, 
And, and in this market as well, people are very aspirational um, in the sense of they do buy things that we think they wouldn't buy because they can't afford. And so they save up their money because it's a, you know, a treat to themselves, um, just like everyone does around the world, right? So I do think it is important to not treat people who are poor as if, you know, within the label of they're poor, <laughs> Um, because that, that happens so often here. Um, and I do think at the same time, there's a very real reality that many people cannot afford uh, products. And so the challenge for us is how do we, I just want to get, I want to be able to get the best, you know, most affordable products, but be able to scale. And if we're losing money as we scale, we're not going to help that many people. We're not going to you know, we're not going to serve as many as we could. And so um, one of the things we've done, for example, in Rwanda, we we don't charge for the HIV self-test, but you have to, we're not going to deliver it for free either. If you place an order and you request an HIV self-test on top, we'll put it on top. It literally costs us no money um, to do that. We get these from the government. We're very... Um, high distributor now of these HIV self-tests. And it's an example of combining products that are free of charge and very important from a health perspective, along with something like a soap or, you know, something that you need to buy that as a basic, you know, necessity. So, and also this is why we negotiate very much with our suppliers. And I feel like these getting to economies of scale and volumes, we can reduce, make the prices lower. In fact, I feel the more businesses that come in, you know, the price, if you look at the cost of a product in Rwanda, it's probably much more expensive than the same product in other places in the world in rich countries. And it's just, you know, when there's less competition, less imports, products become more unaffordable. And so we are also doing work to get the price of products down, creating, you know, creative business models where we can enable you know, products that are free of charge to sustainably be distributed. But I strongly believe that, you know, we have to be able to be sustainable to deliver impact at scale. Mm -hmm. So um, East Africa is often described as, as kind of a laboratory for health innovation, social enterprise uh, in, in the health sector. Um, I'm curious sort of what you think of that characterization because I think, you know, that can, that can be really positive in some ways, but, um, then there's also the flip side of that, which is that if you're sort of experimenting, um, there are real lives and real people at stake. Interesting. So I actually haven't heard that too commonly, the laboratory. Um, I hear more like it's Silicon Savannah, kind of the, almost like you know, Nairobi is like the uh, San Francisco <laughs> of Africa. And, you know, I, I, I've been working in technology in Africa for several years, and I, I personally find it really exciting. I mean, the pace is fast. You know, things change very quickly. Rwanda is a great example of just how quickly um, things are changing. And so um, it's, it's, it's a very exciting place to be. And the technology solutions that come out have huge impact, huge social impact. So it's not just, you know, you know, how do you better serve your pet dog? It's, you know, and that's, it's how can you, 
help a mom help her kid survive, you know, things like that, that are super, super important. Um, and to me, that's very, um, an exciting place to work. Um, Nairobi is a very startup type of culture. There's a whole, there's so many startups and especially in tech, um, very vibrant ecosystem. Also, um, just the level of education within technology is really strong as well. Um, and there's, you know, more and more investors are, are looking in the area. Um, so, and I think the only difference is it doesn't necessarily have as much um, of an investment ecosystem the way other countries do, such as, you know, for example, San Francisco, um, but it's definitely getting there. And so for me, I think it's a very exciting startup culture that, and where I think tech will absolutely revolutionize the day-to-day -day life. And, um, and, you know, you often hear the leapfrog scenario, um, and it's true. I mean, it, when you don't have the infrastructure in place, you know, you don't have the roads, you don't have the fiber in the ground, you know, it's faster, you can scale faster. And so that's really definitely something that happens. I think one of the things that's a little bit uh, frustrating is that most of the world still sees, um, you know, the continent and East Africa and, you know, just as poor, but it's an incredibly vibrant market. There's an, you know, quite a lot of wealth as well. And so there's extremes, but it is absolutely a place that I think is investable. And, um, and, and so growing businesses, I think not only just, you know, changes the, the country, um, but, you know, you can grow a very strong, profitable global business starting from East Africa. That's a great point. Do you feel that the startup culture and energy, uh, say in Nairobi or in East Africa more broadly is, is sort of outpacing the, the NGO presence? Yeah. So I, mean, so I, with my background, I have worked in, in the private industry and I've also worked for a donor. Um, and while I do, I know many NGOs that are doing fantastic work, um, that I very much respect. I also strongly believe that the biggest social change will be driven by businesses and they have the biggest opportunity to scale social impact. Um, and so I think there's definitely a shift going on. Whereas before business was purely for making money, you know, cash is a purpose driven for profit company and it's just purpose and impact is inherent to like what we do at its core. And the more profitable we are, the more we grow, the more people we can serve. Um, and the goal is to get to become a global company that serves millions of women around the world and really changes the way, revolutionizes the way that women access health products. And so I think it's definitely an interesting area because we do sit, for example, on the technical working groups for the Ministry of Health. We're the only non NGO within those meetings very often. Um, and so it's a little bit, you know, I think people are, especially within the region, people are not so used to companies that are not only purely profit driven. And so, so it's new, people are <laughs> adapting. Um, I think we're going to see a change. I think in the next 10 years, um, 
you're going to see hard data, impact data coming from companies, purpose-driven companies that are driving, you know, growing big businesses and scaling impact. And I think just leveraging technology, technology gives you very strong data. And that, so that's kind of the proof as well. But at the same time, you know, for us, we work a lot with NGOs, right? So even these health organizations we work with, they have incredible expertise. And, you know, the, especially the local organizations, they, in a country like Rwanda, where, you know, there is a very specific culture and history, and that is, they do phenomenal work. And for us to be able to partner with them, I think is an important aspect. And I, and I do think the biggest change will be driven by, you know, businesses, um, NGOs, and governments working together. So you're in Kenya now, as well as Rwanda, and I know you have ambitions to sort of serve millions of women around the world, but in the nearer term, what are your plans? Uh, Are you East Africa focused for the time being, venturing into other parts of the world? Yeah, um, you know, that's a a good question. Um, (laughs) So for us, you know, we built Kasha, the model is built out absolutely to be transferable and to be scalable. And so this expansion into Kenya enables us to show that, sure, it's within East Africa, but we're able to customize, optimize, and scale within different countries. East Africa, there's a lot of opportunity, West Africa as well. I think there's a lot of really exciting things happening in Ethiopia right now. Kasha is also a consumer insights platform. So we have various different revenue streams within our business. Um, but we have partnerships with Unilever and Johnson and Johnson, um, as well as Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So we have some really great partners that I see um, who will help us uh, basically scale at a much larger level. So I think for us, it's really working together in partnership and determining what is that next market. You know, running social businesses is a little it's a little tricky, right? And so the the real challenge, how do you you know, how do you run a business when the majority of your customers are living in extreme poverty yet become a profitable company? And so I think it's really exciting to be watching some of these very creative business models because you have to have a creative business model. This isn't, you know, you just, it's a much more complex scenario, you know, on top of the technology, on top of the innovation and consumer services, you know, the innovation in business models is really something that's exciting to watch um, because it's going to enable some really big changes economically. Joanna, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Joanna Bixel is the co-founder and CEO of Kasha, an e-commerce platform for women's health products headquartered in Rwanda. And that's it for this week's show. The 85% is a production of Emerge 85. Visit our website, emerge85.io, for more interviews, profiles, and features on the many changes unfolding in the emerging world. We're also on social media at E85Lab. Thanks for listening. Until next time.